Hi, I'm Diana Penunchal, Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and you're listening to Call Number with American Libraries. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has dominated headlines this year. The ongoing war has affected people globally, including American librarians and their work. In this episode, we're looking at the ways the profession is supporting Ukraine, including efforts to preserve Ukrainian collections and cultural materials, a special ALA fund to repair libraries in Ukraine, and how one Canadian library is helping Ukrainian refugees in its community. First, I speak with Kristen Parker, lead curator and manager of the arts at Boston Public Library. She's part of a network of first responders that is working against the clock to preserve Ukraine's cultural information and provide preservation advice to library workers on the ground. Next, American Library's editor and publisher, Sanhita Sinaroy, speaks with Michael Dowling, director of ALA's International and Chapter Relations Office. They talk about the association's Ukraine Library Relief Fund and how donations are being used. Finally, I talked to Millicent Mobby, Director of Community Engagement and Programming at Regina Public Library in Saskatchewan. We discussed how her institution is helping Ukrainian refugees, from teaching them English to improving their literacy to connecting them with community resources. But first, a word from our sponsor. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you too. That's why when you go to geico.com slash disc slash ALA, call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the ALA. And be sure to ask how GEICO could help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. Kristen Parker is lead curator and manager of the arts at Boston Public Library. We talk about her work in helping to preserve Ukraine's cultural information. So how long have you been involved in this kind of work and what prompted you to join? Um, I've been involved since about 2016 is when I began my training with the First Aid and Resilience for Cultural Heritage in Times of Crisis program. What prompted me was the um, the earthquake in Haiti. I got a phone call. I was acting as an archivist at the time, working at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. And I got a call from a friend of mine who's a filmmaker. She trains um, teenagers to make films down in Jacques Mall, Haiti. And after the earthquake, she called me up and she said, hey, you know, we've had this um, horrific disaster. 
but we want to recover our equipment and we want to recover our films as soon as possible so we can keep recording. The kids want to do this. And this is right in the middle of, you know, this, this you know, terrific disaster where human lives were still being, um, you know, bodies were being recovered and there wasn't any shelter and things like that. And yet people still were trying to do something to care for um, or to, to be creative or to document what was happening around them. Um, and I learned more and more that people were going in to rescue, you know, the um, paintings out of churches and things like that. So I just became intrigued at, um, about the idea of how to recover during um, heritage during crisis times. So I learned that this program um, called First Aid to Cultural Heritage in Times of Crisis, um, led by uh, the Smithsonian and ICROM, existed. And I thought I'd love to try this out. And so I applied and went on a month-long intensive training in Washington, D.C. with 25 people from around the world, um, mainly from conflict zones. And we trained together in very practical things um, from like doing simulations to crisis communications and all kinds of different um, ways to develop situational awareness uh, during the hot times of crisis, um, during war and disaster. And how do you like, how do you blend humanitarian recovery with heritage recovery at the same time. Um, what kind of preservation work then are you currently doing in Ukraine? Can you walk us through that process? Sure. So because um, now, having trained in 2016, I became part of um, the leadership cohort. And so since that time, I've been participating in developing curriculum and working with um, other leaders from around the world. So we have a, net a network that um, has people that have been trained in um, response, emergency response to heritage uh, in Syria, Iraq, um, Serbia, Mali, um, all over the place. And we do have um, um, a dear friend in Ukraine, in Kyiv, um, called Ihor um, Prashevelo. And he is he's um, the founder of what's called the Maidan Museum, which is an incredibly in interesting and important activist um, um, museum. In Kiev, and he was able to, I believe he was able to ex um, evacuate most of his collection because he really had a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. Because we have such a strong network, we are able to mobilize um, and mobilize people from around the globe whenever we need to. And that's pretty critical. Um, so um, what we did here was as soon as the invasion, like we knew it was developing, but I think everybody was caught a little bit by surprise. But as soon as we knew that this was happening, um, Ikram, uh, the head of this program, Aparna Tandon, contacted Ihor in Ukraine and said, what do you need? And because it's a really sensitive time, you know, uh, my network does not parachute into any country or anything like that. You just reach out to the people that we know. And, and so we were able to call Ihor and just say, you know, what, what do you need right now? Um, and he, so we had a series of early meetings um, uh, via Zoom. And it was really doing a situation analysis, and that means what is even possible? Are your lives, are you safe? Are your people safe? What's happening on the ground right now? Um, and getting all that practical information, but really making sure and checking in and making sure people are safe because human lives come first no matter what. At the same time that we're asking those questions, we found that there were museum curators, librarians sleeping in museums, sleeping in these cultural heritage organizations, they refuse to leave their collections. And that happens in every single hotspot that I've ever 
observe. And then um, about maybe two weeks into the invasion, we actually had um, Zoom meetings with cohorts that EHOR had invited, so people from different cultural heritage organizations around Ukraine to say, you know, what's going on? This is the kind of information you can collect right now that would help us help you outside of the country. And getting, and so be, like starting to mobilize supplies. Um, where could the supplies come from? So we had people in Estonia and Poland who have also been through this training program um, and just getting those supply lines sorted um, and then giving advice. You know, what do you shelter in place? Can you move the collections out safely? Um, and then beginning to um, develop paperwork and damage assessment forms that are appropriate for the particular situation to hand out. But a lot of the early training, we did two initial trainings, was to keep people safe so that if they did try to go into these sites, that they were aware of um, explosives and things like that. So it's really practical um, information. Some of these um, cultural heritage sites don't have access to archival materials and things like that, so you... Um, we offer advice like, okay, well, if you don't have, you know, some, like, you know, if you work with conservators, they always want to give you the fanciest materials. When this kind of thing happens, it's like, if you got newspaper, wrap the thing up in newspaper. You know, you use whatever is around you. So it's kind of like offering, like, shoring up people's confidence that they're doing the right thing um, to mitigate damage. I'm wondering, you know, what are the parallels between librarian, librarianship and, and the work of cultural preservation? Where do you see things kind of overlap and your skill set and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, for me personally, you know, I've, as, um, I've always worked in cultural heritage organizations, so I'm, I'm a trained librarian with a specialty in archives, but I've managed art collections my whole career, so I've always kind of worked within, like, um, all kinds of media and mediums but to me, it's all about the mission, which is the preservation of knowledge in all different forms. So what kind of skills do you have that can be deployed to support the preservation of knowledge, the preservation of culture? Um, and there can be you know, multiple ways um, that librarians can do this kind of work. I mean, I mean from, the, from the very obvious um, perspective in terms of if you're uh, you know, just uh, managing cultural assets like books and libraries. I mean, those are, those are often targeted first, you know. So how can you um, work with a city, let's say Mosul. The Mosul's University Library was bombed, and they needed to rebuild after it was destroyed. So, you know, they reached out to librarians across the world to help them rebuild their collections. You may not be able to help in the, you know, immediately unless you have a um, particular skill set, but in the aftermath and in that early recovery, showing that you, um, as a professional colleague and somebody who is um, working in the same field, can really shore people up. So I, I would say kind of just like look around you in your own profession and, and the things that you're interested in and, you know, you'll, you can find ways to, to reach out and support um, your colleagues in, in conflict zones. How do you take care of yourself and... How do you suggest other librarians who may be doing this work, you know, take care of themselves? Well, one thing I love about this work is that when you um, are feeling hopeless, when you see this kind of destruction happening around the world, the people that are helping are some of, like, the most warm-hearted, loving people I've ever encountered. The people that I've trained with are my dearest friends, you know, we all, we, we've built such trust with each other and people care so much about life and creativity and knowledge that, um, that always gives me hope even when I'm, 
feeling really down, but it's never as hard as what it is for the people that are actually experiencing the horrors of, of disaster of any sort. So, um, so that puts me in my place always. And I also hang out with my dog and my cat. <laughs> so I sometimes have to have a cuddle with the pets. Yes. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. Geico thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why when you go to geico.com disc slash ALA, call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local Geico agent for a fast, no-obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the ALA. And be sure to ask how GEICO could help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you even save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. American Library's editor and publisher, Sanhita Sinharoy, joins Michael Dowling, director of ALA's International and Chapter Relations Office, in a conversation about the association's Ukraine Library Relief Fund. Can you tell us a little bit about the fund? Sure. Um, well, ALA's all had a, a long history of helping out um, after disasters uh, through either with, whether they're domestic or international or whether they are man-made disasters or uh, natural disasters. Most are natural, but unfortunately, this one is a, one of the man-made disasters. And so um, after uh, an event happens or while it's happening, which is uh, the case for, for Ukraine, um, we've uh, worked with the Ukrainian Library Association, who um, has a, a account that they can take in funds for, but it's a, a account that is, uh, you'd have to pay bank transfer fees, et cetera. So um, we um, got permission with them to be their collaborator to take in money in the, from the United States, Canada, et cetera, through credit cards. And so each month we are then um, sending uh, the donations that we receive to directly to that fund. And so we're only paying them one fee um, for, for all that money each, each month. And this was unveiled in May. Um, since May, how much has the fund uh, been able to to gather? Sure. So we're um, we've raised over fifteen thousand dollars. So um, you know we had a, a very good uh, start in May, and obviously, as we know, um, you know things. Um, slow down a little bit as, as you move forward, but we're very pleased with the, the continued support from ALA uh, members and also others in the library uh, community or just uh, supporters of libraries uh, who have heard about the Ukraine Library Relief Fund and, and donated. So we've had uh, close to 200 uh, individual donors, you know, from small numbers up to pretty large numbers. So we're very pleased with that. And we even had um, the uh, ProQuest um, vendor that um, is a library vendor at the ALA conference. They then um, raised money at the conference for uh, attendees who came to their booth you know, and showed their badge. They um, were going to uh, donate $10 
each. And so in the end, they uh, donated $1,000 or $1,200, $1,200, sorry. It's amazing. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the specific challenges that have been faced by libraries in Ukraine? Well, sure. Certainly those in the eastern um, part of Ukraine, um, many number of them have been um, either damaged or destroyed. Um, obviously, um, there has been some loss of life of a few um, library uh, staff. Obviously, a lot of displacement. Um, those that are um, still able to function have been trying to function as best they can. I mean, there were libraries that, um, you know, were, were working just as, you know, fighting was going on, you know, down the street kind of from them. They were still open or trying to provide uh, shelter or services. Um, so obviously those um, areas are, are the ones that are in very tenuous positions or already not able to, to work. Um, although those in the other regions are obviously um, seeing so many uh, displaced people coming to their communities. They're having to um, try to um, provide services. So they used to provide services for a thousand people. Now they've got 4,000 people, you know, coming in to try to uh, need access to their computers. You know, they're trying to um, find maybe shelter or food. Libraries are providing shelter and food for, for, for a lot of people as well. So it's serving as a safe haven there, making, helping them make connections with other uh, NGOs, et cetera. So um, they're pretty much running um, all the time, almost 24 seven, you know, these days in, in a lot of places trying to, to help out all those who are now kind of, you know, internal refugees in their, in their communities. What kind of specific impact have some, some of the funds that have been raised, what kinds of impact have you seen from that? So, yeah, the, I mean, obviously, if uh, they've used some of the money for um, um, a, a couple locations that uh, needed some in, uh, more computers. So, again, they're able to leverage what we uh, provide to get um, computers at usually some, some decent rates um, there. But a lot of them are buying uh, materials for kind of, um, I guess it would call almost PTSD you know, as far as stress relief kind of for all of these displaced people. So uh, especially for children, um, you know, as far as um, art supplies, materials, et cetera, that, that, that the kids could use on one of the, certainly um, the war started um, and quickly, I mean, time-wise, the uh, Ukrainian Easter was not too long after that. So um, a lot of the libraries uh, were creating to, to create that um consistency of, of earlier times, you know, they, they um, created a, you know, a program where kids could uh, decorate and create Easter eggs kind of related to, to, to the Ukrainian Easter. And so um, a way just for those who, you know, were, were, were um, displaced and traumatized to kind of get a, a, you know, just a kind of a little bit of normalization and obviously, a, you know, to the staff are there to help out and, you know, be a, a shoulder to, to cry on if needed or to, to help out with, with whatever, you know, helping them to find, you know, maybe there's a, a, you know, a new location for them to get more support for, for um, different clothes or et cetera, those kind of things. So uh, by having the library open, you know, the, they can use the equipment for computers to contact loved ones who, you know, are also displaced, could be in Poland, Romania, US, who knows where, et cetera. And then also just uh, some, some time to, to uh, you know, be with others to do normal things. And also, you know, just also, you know, it's always just to check out books if you wanted to, to kind of get that escapism. So how can anyone who's listening right now get more information or help? 
Uh, so yeah, definitely if they want to, they can donate to the ALA uh, relief fund. So if they go and, you know, probably the easiest way to just say it is probably if they just go to, to, to Google is and, and type in uh, ALA Ukrainian Library Relief Fund, that will take them to our main page that has information. Now, and sometimes it will take them directly to our uh, donation site where they can donate. And again, we're you know, whatever they can contribute, big or small, we're, we're happy to take that in. And as I said, each month we're sending uh, what we receive to them. So it's kind of a continuous effort. And again, we'll continue to highlight and thank you for helping us highlight some of the activities that have been going on with our brave colleagues in uh, Ukraine as they as they uh, manage a, a, just a terrible situation as, as best they're able to. And remind us that these donations are tax deductible, is that right? Yes, thank you. That Yeah, they're tax deductible. So that's the other advantage that you donate through ALA and all the money we're raising, all of it is going to Ukraine. ALA is not uh, keeping any of the, the money. So if you donate $100, $100 will go to the Ukrainian library community. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you too. That's why when you go to geico.com D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the A-L-A. And be sure to ask how GEICO could help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. Thanks again to GEICO for sponsoring our episode. Millicent Mobby is Director of Community Engagement and Programming at Regina Public Library in Saskatchewan. She and I talked about the importance of helping Ukrainian refugees settle into their new communities and how that can be done with help from the library. So my first question is, how did the program begin and what needs did you recognize to start the program? Right. Thank you so much. So the program began with a conversation with our partner, the Ukrainian Canadian Congress. And so I met with a staff from um, the partner and we were talking about how to support Ukrainian people in Regina, especially new arrivals. And in that process, we identified some needs um, which led to us coming to a conclusion that this program may be beneficial and worthwhile to try. Um, and some of those needs we identified included a need for new Ukrainian arrivals to learn English or for those who speak to an extent to strengthen their English language skills, um, a need for people to secure employment once they are in Canada. And also a big one was to build social connections. And this came in at least two different shapes, including building connections with fellow new arrivals 
who have experienced the same or similar things, as well as more established Ukrainian people who have been here for a while. Um, the tendency for people to experience a social disconnection when they are here and to connect them back into that community was one of the things that led to this program. And also for people to take that chance to learn about the library, the resources the library offers, and all the support it can provide. When did you start, when did the library start this process of, of thinking about how can we help our Ukrainian refugees? I would say that it had been on the library's plate before I joined the library. I only joined in May of this year. It was one of the first projects I worked on the moment I came in. And so as soon as I came in here in May, I started to build that connection. I reached out to the Ukrainian Canadian Congress. It took a while to get hold of them, including me making a physical trip to their office to try to find somebody in the office. But eventually we established that connection. And one other thing I would like to add about how needs were identified went beyond at the time that the program was being identified. When we eventually kicked off, another way that we identified needs was actually asking the people, the new Ukrainians who are attending the program. And so in the first session, we talked with them about what needs they had that we could meet or that we could help find support for. Who all is helping with the, the program? Right, thank you very much. So the program started out of a conversation with just me and just one staff from the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, but it has since expanded to include myself, members of my team, the community engagement and programming team. And that includes our lead for children's programming, our volunteer coordinator, and also our employment specialist, business and employment specialist. And from the partner's end, it has also expanded to include their um, employment counselor, as well as the president of the Ukrainian Canadian um, Congress. Uh, beyond those, it now also includes volunteers from both ends. So volunteers from the library are included. As soon as the war broke out and Ukrainians started to arrive, volunteers of the library started to indicate interest in supporting Ukrainians, where the library ever to find a way to work with that group. And so we had standby volunteers who wanted to help. And also some new Ukrainian arrivals who passed through the services of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress joined us as volunteers to help support this program. And they bring with them um, ability to speak the Ukrainian language. And so they interpret during these um, information sessions for us. So some of our volunteers, some of the things they've done include um, the English language learning and also taking care of children. So providing childcare support during the information sessions um, so that while parents are focused, children are being engaged in literacy activities and games and ways to help them um, learn and build social connections as well. How were library staff um, trained to help teach English? To, like how did you and your staff work through that language barrier? The library has a long-standing literacy program where we support people of various backgrounds to learn English. And that means that people are coming with various original languages, which mm -hmm. our volunteers don't necessarily have to speak. They just have to be able to teach English and be willing to do so. 
how can the Ukrainian refugees benefit from attending this program? And do you and you know the library staffers hope that it helps refugees settle in and you know maybe get a job, things like that? Of course, we do hope that this program helps Ukrainians to settle in um, and learn about their community and, of course, get a job because a job is really important to anybody to sustain um, their previous lifestyle and attain new ones. So um, we have new Ukrainians who are attending this program who have already signed up for our English learning programs and also our employment programs. In fact, one of them who signed up for our employment program was able to secure a job within weeks of attending that program. And so they also went about spreading the news in the community about how helpful the library service was. And so they became our ambassador on their own about the value of the program. And those are some of the things we're hoping to get from this real tangible impact where people attend the programs, they're able to get jobs, they get more connected to their community, they mm-hmm. learn about library resources, they build confidence in their English language skills because the library provides positive encouragement and a conducive atmosphere to do that. And some of the ways we are ensuring that some of these outcomes are achieved is by also working with other partners. So we have library staff on this, as I said earlier. And so, so far, every week we've we've invited a guest, whether that be a library staff talking about specific library programs. And so the volunteer coordinator has gone in to talk about volunteer opportunities, which helps people to gain Canadian work experience, get Canadian references that will help them get ahead in their job search, and also an opportunity to give back. Our employment specialist has gone in to talk about employment support and people have started to attend our resume coaching, um, cover letter design workshops, and also one-to-one interview practice sessions. And they are benefiting from those. We have our lead for children's programming going in to demonstrate how to read to children, the value of early literacy and all of that. We've also invited external community partners so that we are connecting them to the broader range of resources in the community beyond the library. What advice do you have for libraries who want to begin a similar program? I would say that this is a worthwhile adventure, a worthwhile endeavor for any library to want to embark on. Um, as li- Especially public libraries, um, we support every member of Um, our community that we serve. And so it's really worthwhile to support this group of people who have been displaced and some of them fleeing with little to nothing and starting all over. So they come with a lot of, um, there's an opportunity to provide a wide range of support to them. And libraries have these resources for free. And we also have the community connections to link them up with other services that we don't provide within the library. One of the things I would say is for us, partnering has really worked. And so for any library who is able, I would um, recommend partnering with other organizations that share similar interests in helping Ukrainians. If there is no Ukrainian specific organization in the neighborhood, perhaps immigrant settlement agencies, um, health authorities and other organizations, but generally partnership helps to reach um, more people. Um, sometime in this July, about 230 new Ukrainians landed here 
And it was through the help of these uh, partners and the volunteers that we gained access to these 200 people as they stepped off the airplane. And so we um, created and sent flyers, inviting them to this program in both English and Ukrainian. We have staff here who have connections with Ukrainians, perhaps in their churches. And so we also drew on all of those to try to reach Ukrainians everywhere. Be sure to tune in into next month's episode focused on library design and architecture. The episode coincides with our library design showcase, the cover story of our September-October issue. Interested in sharing with us the design feature you love best at your local library and why? Email us your answer to call number at ala.org or leave us a voicemail at 312-280-4218 and your submission could be featured in our next episode. Is there a story or topic you'd like us to cover? Let us know. We welcome feedback and hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening.